<clears throat> Morning, church. Thanks for joining us today. We've got folks joining us online, and we're always thankful for that. Let me begin with a couple of illustrations. The doorbell rings, and you open the door, and they hand you a business card, and you immediately know why they came. Maybe it's to sell you, I don't know why your doorbell rings, but mine is usually, do you need a new roof? Do you need someone to spray your house? Do you need someone to mow your yard? You, you know why they came. Or even a couple of weeks ago, you went out and bought candy because you knew when the doorbell rang, you knew why they came. They came because of Halloween. They came to trick-or-treat. You, you know why people came. You go to the doctor, you go to the dentist, they know why you came. They may not know the specific reasons, but they know why you came. We begin a new series called Why Jesus Came, and from here till Christmas, we're going to give you reasons why Jesus came. We're going to show you in Scripture. Now, if someone asked you, why did Jesus come? I'm guessing you could probably give them one or two, maybe several answers, but there are a lot of Scriptures that illustrate Dozens of scriptures that illustrate why Jesus came, and over the next several weeks, we want to share those with you. So, for example, let me give you some to get us started. The, there's some actual ones where Jesus just says, here's why I came. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Now, there's context to all of these verses, and I'm not going into the context of these verses. I just want to show you the actual verses where Jesus illustrates why he came. For example, as for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world. I came to save it. So Jesus tells us why he came. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me, but... If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. We keep going. Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. I've always liked the as was his custom. It was Jesus's. This doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. It was Jesus's custom to go to the synagogue. It was Jesus' custom to worship. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me. Jesus, why would you come? Because God sent him to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus tells us why he came. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. We keep going. <clears throat> Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Why Jesus come? He had to be made like his brothers in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Why Jesus come? To make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Why Jesus come? To help you when you're tempted. 
Okay, again, there's a lot of context to these. I'm just giving you some specific stuff. Pilate said to Jesus, you are a king then. Jesus answered Pilate, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to me. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So, just some illustrations of why Jesus came. And over the, again, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at specific passages and break those down in their context on why Jesus came. Now, I want to spend the rest of the time in one chapter, in 21 verses, and I want to stay in context. We've pulled verses out of this 21-verse conversation, and we've used them sometimes um, always for good, but we pull them out. I want to stay in context. I want you to see the full context because Jesus is going to illustrate why he came. So we're going to be in John chapter 3. You're familiar with John 3. There's a conversation in John chapter 3. In fact, John records 27 conversations. John records 27 interviews where Jesus takes the time to talk to people. And I want to spend 21 verses on this conversation today. This conversation may be the most famous conversation in the Bible. It may be the most important conversation in the Bible. It may be the most insightful conversation in the Bible. It may be the most theological conversation in the Bible. It may be the most descriptive conversation in the Bible, and it begins with a question. Although that question is never asked. The question is there, but the question is never asked. The question is a good one. It's an important one. It's a volatile one. It's a question we don't agree on. We don't agree on the question. We struggle with the answer. And had the question not been asked... You would have asked it, because people have been asking this question for thousands of years. And again, what's interesting is, the question was never asked out loud. The conversation in John 3 is between two people. It's between Nicodemus and Jesus. Could have been between 200 people. Could have been 2,000 people. Could have been you. You would have and I believe you've asked this question. Nicodemus comes to Jesus with a question. And Jesus knows the question. That's why he answers the way he does. Jesus answers the question. And in this 21-verse conversation, Jesus tells us why he came. Let's read. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. 
In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, think about that answer. Why would Jesus answer that way if there wasn't a question? But he knew the question that Nicodemus was thinking because he's Jesus. So he knows why Nicodemus has come. It's obvious Nicodemus has come to Jesus with a purpose. It's obvious he's come to Jesus with something on his mind. It's obvious he wants to ask the question. And the question can be asked in so many different ways. The question has been asked in so many different ways. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to get into heaven? What must I believe to get into heaven? Same question no matter how you ask it. And Nicodemus asked it even though he never asked it, but that's why he's coming to Jesus. Now, great question, or we could say great questions, and they deserve good answers. They deserve biblical answers, which is what I want to give you today because in these 21 verses, Jesus tells us why he came. The answer to this question tells us why Jesus came. Again, you've asked that question before. The rich young ruler asked the question. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? People have been coming to Jesus, coming to God for thousands of years, asking the question. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He asked the question, even though he never asked the question, but he wanted an answer to the question because he needed to know, where do I stand with God? How do I inherit eternal life? What must I do? Same question, no matter how you ask it. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Jesus ended up going to his house, and at his house he said, Today salvation has come to this house, which is what we all want to know. Has salvation come to my house? Do I have salvation? Where do I stand with God? How do I get into heaven? Again, that's our question. And the emphasis of the question is usually on what we do. So, what must I do? What must any person do? How do I? What are the requirements? What do I need to do? What do I need to know? Because that's really at the core of what we're asking is, what do I need to do? Because we think salvation is really about what we do. Maybe you need to hear that again. We think salvation is about what we do. And it's not. You know, surely if I pray enough, surely if I give enough, surely if I worship enough, surely if I do enough good deeds, if I, if I do these things, will I inherit eternal life? If I do these things, will I be saved? If I do these things, will God let me in? Well, if I do these things, will I be in heaven? You need to know something about Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, and that might not mean anything to you, but Pharisees were very legalistic, strict people, and they thought God needed their help. So they would rewrite what God would say. They would rewrite what God wrote because God didn't say it quite well enough, and Pharisees would say it better. In their opinion, they fine-tuned the law and they made up their own list of what people needed to do to be saved. Pharisees still exist today. People who say, yeah, but. I know what the Bible says, but you need to do these things. You need to do these things. Some of the strongest words said by Jesus were to the Pharisees. 
And yet here's Nicodemus, a Pharisee, and he comes to Jesus. It appears he comes in sincerity. It appears he wants to know an answer to his question. He knows something's missing in his beliefs. Here he is, a Pharisee, a strict, legalistic, follow-the-rules-to-the-T Pharisee, and yet he knows mm, something's not right here, which is interesting because he, he's a Pharisee, and yet he still knows something miss, is missing. I mean, it's obvious he knows Jesus. It's obvious he's been watching Jesus. It's obvious he knows what Jesus has been doing. Rabbi, you, we know you are a teacher who's come from God. That's why did Jesus came? We know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. So he's been watching. They've been watching. He, they, they know Jesus is doing something, and they've been watching the miracles and watching the good works, and it's obvious you're sent from God, and it's obvious Nicodemus doesn't want anybody to know. Because he comes at night. He comes in secret. He's curious. But he's not foolish. I mean, what if somebody finds out a Pharisee has gone to talk to Jesus? Or maybe he comes at night because he knows during the day the crowds are just all around Jesus. Maybe if I can go see Jesus at night, maybe I can get a little time with Jesus. Maybe he won't be so busy. But Jesus gets straight to the point. Jesus doesn't mess around. Jesus doesn't engage in idle talk. Jesus doesn't engage in small talk. And the answer speaks volumes. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born from above. Nicodemus didn't ask that question. But he asked that question. And Jesus says, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. You're not going to be in the kingdom. You're not going to be saved. You're not going to inherit. It doesn't matter how you ask the question. Unless he's born from above. Now, in this conversation, Jesus wants Nicodemus to know. It, it's, it's more than just being born again. He wants Nicodemus to know. Let me tell you why I came. Let me tell you why I came. Jesus says, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to be saved, if you want to know what it takes, you must be born again. But there's more to this conversation. I want to stay in context because there's 21 verses of context. I want to stop right here because it's so good. So Nicodemus responds and says, I'm a little confused. How can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. He's not trying to be crude. He's, he's just trying to understand what, what are you talking about being born again. So Jesus clarifies. And Jesus wants Nicodemus to know it's not about your first birth. It's about your second birth. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying... You must be born from above. If you want to be saved, if you want to get into heaven, if you want to inherit eternal life, you must experience a new birth. So he tells Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. That's your first birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. That's your second birth. Jesus says your first birth is your human birth and your second birth is your spiritual birth. Nicodemus wants to focus on the first birth and Jesus wants to talk about the second birth. What's interesting is you really don't have anything to do with either birth. In your first birth, your mom did all the work. 
in your second birth, God does all the work. You don't have anything to do with either birth. Your first birth is your flesh. Your second birth is the spirit. Jesus says humans give birth to humans. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And salvation is what God does. And that was probably difficult for the Pharisee, Nicodemus, the legalistic person to hear. And it might be difficult for you to hear when I say you don't have anything to do with either birth. But, again, there's more to this conversation. You can keep reading in John chapter 3. Again, it goes on for 21 verses. So if you jump a little bit, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. That's Jesus, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Remember, why did, G why did Nicodemus come to Jesus? He doesn't ask the question, but he wants to know about eternal life. And Jesus said, the one who came from heaven is all about eternal life. How do I know that? Because guess what comes after John 3, 15? John 3, 16, that we're very familiar with, that may have been one of the first verses you ever memorized, that it's a go-to verse that we have, that, like I said, sometimes we pull it out of context. But notice Jesus said, I came so that you may have eternal life. That's why I came. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. So Nicodemus comes and wants to know about eternal life, and Jesus said, well, that's why I came. I came so that you can have eternal life. It's all about eternal life. There it is. That's why Jesus came. That's just one reason why Jesus came. Again, we're going to look at a lot of reasons why Jesus came. But there's another verse. Because this is a conversation. So sometimes we just yank John 3.16 out and we forget that there's a John 3.17. In fact, this conversation goes on for 21 verses. John 3.17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Well, why did He send His Son? Why did Jesus come? He sent Him to save the world through Him. Jesus did not come to condemn. Maybe you need to hear that today because you might think that God wants to condemn you, that Jesus wants to condemn you, that they just want you to spend eternity in hell. Jesus said, that's not why I came. I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. And I came to give eternal life. And that eternal life is what he's telling Nicodemus. That eternal life comes through a new birth. That's why we read in 1 Peter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why Jesus came, and that's the answer to the question by Nicodemus. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. You've been saved through trusting Christ. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. This birth isn't about you. It's not about what you do. It's about what God does, so that none of us can take any credit for it. It's God Himself who's made us what we are and given us new lives in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came, to transform us, to give us eternal life, to change us into the likeness of Him. And that's something God does. And that's something that God does in us. Listen. Listen, this, this new birth that he's telling Nicodemus about, this new birth that we talk about, this new birth that we believe is baptism, I, I, I want you to hear some things. Maybe you've never heard them. Maybe you don't agree with them, but I get to say them anyway because I'm up here. <laughs> this new birth, this baptism, it, it's not about joining this church. It's not about joining the Belton Church of Christ. 
Baptism's not our theology. This new birth is not our theology here at the Belton Church of Christ. Before the church was ever even established, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born from above. That's why we believe in this new birth, and that's why we believe in baptism. So I want you to hear today, again, God wants everyone to be saved. That seems a little too broad and generic. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to have eternal life. That's why Jesus came is for you to have eternal life. And you need to believe that. You need to believe that Jesus always wants you to have eternal life. So I want to clear that up because, again, some people think that God doesn't want everybody in heaven. God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to have eternal life. God wants you to be saved. Jesus came to give you eternal life. I love the book by Max Licato, it's called 316, The Numbers of Hope. John 316, those are numbers of hope. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. I, I want you to know that's a conversation he had with Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus is wanting to know about eternal life. So here's what Max says about those 26 words. A 26-word parade of hope, beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same. If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. We all need the reminder. The heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. And God's treatment is prescribed in John 3.16. It's a reminder. This conversation with Nicodemus is a reminder of why Jesus came. It's a reminder that Jesus came to give us hope. For God so loved the world that He gave us rules? No. Declarations? No. Edicts? No. For God so loved the world, He gave us His Son. That whoever believes in Him, and that's why Jesus came. So we're going to be spending some time illustrating why Jesus came. Today I want you to hear that Jesus came to give you, each and every one of you, everybody on this globe, Jesus came to give eternal life. Not to take it away. Not to rob, not to steal, but to give eternal life. Let's pray.